Go Beyond with Kiki TV. Insights for optimal vitality, movement, mindset, and meaning. Tired of hearing the same old crap? Then tune in and listen to expert events with Kiki TV. KikiTV.life. The portal to always fresh, always real tutorials, classes, and events that you cannot find anywhere else. Subscribe. Welcome to Kiki TV and welcome to our expert event. And today I'm so excited. I'm really almost nervous to be sitting down with Elizabeth Bright. And Elizabeth Bright has written an extraordinary book called Good Fat is Good for Women Menopause. She speaks English, Italian, French, German, Chinese, and more. She's currently living in India. She is uh, in Italy, excuse me. She's currently living in Italy. She's a martial arts master traveling to China for many years, teaching martial arts. And she is a doctor of osteopathy trained in Europe, as well as a naturopath. She does extraordinary work. She's done some incredible research and uncovering and you are transforming people's women's health with some wonderful protocols that are really from a great tradition of eating so i just want to start by saying the great news is um reduction of uh of um that estrogen reducing from the ovaries, as we are told, is not going to turn us into dried up twigs, that actually that has no bearing, that these so-called menopause symptoms are from something else and they can be addressed. So why don't you tell us what menopause is and how we can understand it for our joyous futures? Well, menopause, Kiki, is a wonderful evolutionary development. It's something that we as humans with our very large fatty brain um, evolved into so that we could live longer, so we could take care of our um, daughters and granddaughters and grandsons, the children of our daughters. And um, this is not how we were raised to think. And because primates die, menstruate until they die. All mammals, except for human women, orcas and pilot whales menstruate until they die. And this is a huge nutritional cost. Um, It takes a lot of energy to produce a baby, a healthy baby. And this is the way that we can live. We, We decay physiologically only that way. And I wouldn't even use the word decay. I would use the word transition into menopause so that we can live a long, fruitful life. And everything that is associated to menopause is actually caused by in my view, adrenal deficiency. That absolutely made so much sense to me. And this this sort of anthropological discovery that human women, we actually have an opportunity that no other primate has. A primate is, all these other primates are fertile and at the end of fertility, they die. At the mm-hmm. end of our fertility, we get 50 more years to continue to have a new focus in our life, to actually have our nutritional um, sustenance for our continuous development and vitality and wisdom and to participate in society, whether it's this society of our family, 
-hmm. or growing our family to a wider community. Mm -hmm. And this is seen in this incredible research in the orca whales that you share. And can you talk about this grandmother theory that is this unique gift for us and orcas and uh, pilot whales? Um, It was, uh, well, Kristen Hawks, who's an evolutionary anthropologist, American, um, she she started uh, carrying, she um, developed this theory, the hypothesis, the grandmother hypothesis, because she saw these in the hunter-gatherer tribes that she traveled to see. She did a lot of research with the Ache and the Hazda, and she saw these older ladies being very um, industrious and um, in good health. Uh, she says at one point that they, she, they're dancing jigs, you know, they're, they're in good shape and they're very much a part of the community. And she had been ra- taught herself to think that these women should just be kind of cast aside. Instead, they were very important integral parts to the families and to the communities. And they're sharing traditions of knowledge that would otherwise be lost. Right. The, the, the orcas are the, well, the orcas and the pilot whales actually lead the younger whales in the pod to the hunting grounds. They are libraries. They have a resource of knowledge and wisdom, as you said, which in their years. And so they will know, in the human case, they will know medicines, plants that you can use, where to take the the group to hunt, to gather. And it's just a wonderful, it, I mean, we are not, we do not evolve to fall apart and die. We have been given, we have been fed some very misleading propaganda created yes. through marketing. And you go into that and it's, it's very sordid. Um, and there's just a wonderful opportunity through what you're sharing in your book and what you're sharing certainly with your, um, with your patients that you work with for women to really celebrate our opportunity for longevity and our health and take charge and not second guess to the medical system that tells us we're falling apart. So uh, it's actually a very long time that women's health was taken away from them, medicalized and then served back to them Mm -hmm. in a way that undermined their well-being. Mm -hmm. So you did a lot of research in this area. Um, can you talk about the early Greek view of men and women and then how this view of women being so frail and dry and different changed? Well, you could say that it all started with agriculture because I believe that women, certainly the, the hunter-gatherer tribes don't treat women in that way. And they are an integral part is, and they also hunt, I'm sure. I'm sure that I was a hunter when I, you know, my forebears were hunters. Um, so in an agricultural society, you put more hands on deck, you put more children into the fields to create more grain and more children are necessary for that lifestyle, for that society. Um, the Greeks, Hippocrates and Galen actually saw women and men as equals. It kind of started with Aristotle, who the Aristotelian theory, you know, who saw women as women had to be moist in order to um, reproduce and men were dry. So when women became dry, when they no longer menstruated, they no longer served a purpose. So in the medical view, I guess you could say, but not only medical, society is created by men. So everything, philosophy, psychology. Conditioning. 
everything, economy, everything that, that exists is seen through, women are seen through the, from the male gaze. And the male gaze is that women are, their health is based on their reproductive capacity. When they no longer reproduce, what good are they for? So we don't have is, that ability to have another life as men do. And this um, is a reductionist view, obviously, of the whole human being, the whole female human being. And it's these messages are internalized by girls and women. And then women and girls begin to restrict from within their view of the opportunities in front of them and uh, any kind of hope of expansion and accomplishment they might have has already been restricted from internalizing these messages. Well, they, they are raised to think that we all, to, we have, um, luckily we, I was raised obviously to think that I could do more than just get married and have babies. But the fact that this is, this is per perpetuated by the medical industry because we really are treated simply as machines to have babies. The idea, the silly idea that we would just fall apart because we can't have babies, can't reproduce, has just, you know, it has affected all women at all times. In the West, um, I guess you would say in societies where there is more of a preponderance on uh, agricultural culture. Um, and so we could said, Sorry, as I said, the Chinese don't even have a word for menopause. They do now because they've translated so many medical conditions into Chinese. Many cultures didn't have a concept of menopause because not concept of menopause, I mean, by all the symptoms that go along with it. It really is just a, a mechanical event. Your follicles no longer are produced in order to make eggs so that you no longer have eggs that can be ovulated in order to have a baby. There's really absolutely nothing else that it has that's supposed to go on. And because there was this difference in women that they could reproduce, that they had a uterus, that they, um, it was when it also was uncovered that uh, estrogen was discovered in women, then all medical treatments or all concerns about women in kind of modern uh, medical history was that, well, if a woman has a problem, if she's unhappy or if she's sad or doesn't want to follow along, it must have something to do with her, her uterus. Mm -hmm. So let's remove it. Or it has something to do with blood since women menstruate. So let's do bloodletting. And this goes back much farther than I could have imagined. There's a couple hundred years or more of this approach of say like. Are you talking about his hysterectomies? The history of hysterectomies and also bloodletting women oh, in the yeah. breast area. Well, the Greeks did that. The Greeks did that. Um, but yeah, the history, it's, the problem is, is that estrogen is kind of just a culmination of a theory of a hypothesis that the, that the male world had, uh, male medical world. Um, hysterect hysterectomy started thousands and thousands and thousands of women. When they started to be able to cut women open, and sew them back up and they would survive. Although I think 
I think you said one in six or something. Yeah, it was. So, you know, um, I don't know if you saw that show, The Nick. It was on TV for a while. They had a lot, you know, showed how brutal and and, um, violent surgery was. I mean, it's, um, and the problem is that these women were often not sick. They were having, they had a boyfriend they shouldn't have, or they were talking back to their husband. Virginia Woolf was depressed. And her doctor said that she should have a hysterectomy. So it had nothing to do with the cancer that was rampant in the industrial England in the 18, you know, mid 18, mid 19th century. Um, there's a wonderful uh, writer, Ornella Mascucci, who wrote a book called Cancer in the Victorian Era. Women at those, during that time who had cancer were malnourished. They were working horrible hours and dark conditions and yes, if you are, are not eating right and you are enduring horrible work, um, a work atmosphere, you know. And you there's can't. no clean air. The there's air no clean healthy. air. Yeah, the, the, you know, the furnaces were going all the time. Cancer can, you know, can develop. It had nothing to do with the fact that they were women. Cancer developed in, in, in the ovaries and, you know, in the uterus. And, and they, they did uh, remove... Uh, do hysterectomies, perform hysterectomies and oophorectomies on cancerous tissue. But they also did it to women who didn't have cancer for the reasons I, I said before. So it really was just cutting it out, as you said, cut it out and see. But it was also a sort of an experimental procedure. They were trying to see, it, surgeons have always experimented on women. Um, unfortunately, in the US, a lot of surgery was experimented on African-American women, uh, women and children, as I write about, uh, children in um, in um, asylums hospital. were experimented yeah. on hospital. Yes, so, so this was a way for them to hone their craft, shall we say. Yes, it's just terrible. And um, so there was this early understanding of, oh, ovaries produce estrogen and the medical system has, as you said, this is a theory, which is unproven because really only 5% of the overall estrogen that women produce is from the ovary. So how could the ovaries reduction in estrogen um, production create all of these so-called uh, menopausal problems. It couldn't. So no. can you tell us where all this other estrogen is coming from and how important it is for the brain health and all the rest of it? Well, we do need estrogen. Um, yes. there, there are receptors, estrogen receptors in so many different kinds of tissue, the brain, the, the breast, the everywhere. So, and they're always finding more. So be sure uh, remember that the next time they find a new receptor, there's going to be another symptom that comes out. So whatever tissue they find the receptor in, the deficiency thereof will cause a new menopausal symptom. They're coming up with new symptoms all the time, and it, it will create a new syndrome that we need to address with pharmaceuticals. But they discovered estrogen in 1933, uh, just a couple of years after they discovered insulin. And the problem is that, we, as you said, only 5% is produced that we need is produced in the ovaries, 85% is produced in the adrenals and the adrenal glands and in peripheral tissue. So 
Um, but they hadn't discovered the adrenal hormones yet. This happened in the 40s. So all of their theory was based on this estrogen. There are three types of estrogen. There's uh, E1, E2, and E3. Estrone is E1, uh, estradiol is E2, and estriol is E3. And the only estrogen that we need for, uh, for fertility, for pregnancy, is E2. That is what makes us be able to ovulate. It's a tiny when, All those receptors are getting estrogen from E1. So healthy adrenal function will bring the, ba- the proper estrogen that we need mm-hmm. with this whole well-balanced system and cascading of hormones, right. the lowering of cortisol, and um, that when we have this healthy adrenal function, we will eliminate these symptoms related to menopause because the symptoms are actually related to disrupted adrenals. Right, and, and adrenal, adrenal hormones are made out of cholesterol and how many women avoid eating fat. So you, what you're talking about is, in my, what I see in my practice is girls who have started um, developing sexual characteristics, breasts, they, they don't wanna look like, they don't wanna have breasts or hips, they wanna look like the, you know, the popular models and they, and so right then they start avoiding meat, they start avoiding eating fat. So what you're seeing is when you get to a menopause, a menopause that's gonna, that does have symptoms is because when they were 15, they stopped eating fat and meat. So they have, have low iron all their lives and they get to that age and the, uh, the t- small amount that the um, ovaries make, it just crashes, the whole system crashes. You mentioned in your book, um, your mother, and that she, that this whole low fat craze based on this, uh, another poor hypothesis. No, the cholesterol hypothesis, yes. Yeah, the cholesterol hypothesis. But my mother as well, you mentioned how your mother really was in this low fat thing. And I can see it with my mother's generation and really every generation since Mm-hmm. that there's just a terror of fat and fat is thought to be bad being fat or being even slightly other than slim is just terrifying for women. And most, I know there's been polls that have done, most women would say that they would rather have cancer than be skinny, than not be skinny. Right, like right. there's, you know, so the desire to be thin women equate so much with that ability to be thin and I would, girls do begin to starve themselves and teen girls, certainly when their bodies are going through these changes that are, one has no control over, I think that dieting and avoidance of fat, counting calories, so girls and women become deficient nutritionally at a very young age. And this goes on for years and decades and because the nutritional advice is so poor, they're especially deficient in the nutrition that's needed most, which is these good fats, these animal fats. Exactly, exactly. And that's, it's such a disservice. It's such a disservice to women. You start already, women have, it's kind of a knock-on effect. Uh, they, you know, in the 
even before the fat, the cholesterol hypothesis, it was women who were being prescribed these estrogens and the and and antidepressants and you know laudanum and barbiturates for for not fitting into the mold. And then there's another thing that just knocks it, makes it so much worse for them nutritionally for their entire life. I have women, I have patients who who avoid eating fat when they're teenagers. And then when they're 20, they get breast implants because you can't have breasts if you're not gonna eat fat. So they have breast implants and every 10, 15 years, they have to change them. So excruciating. And how did we get this idea that our breast tissue was not extraordinary? <laughs> that this matrix of tissue in the breast that has the potential to nourish life is not this extraordinary tissue that, you know, why could it just be manipulated like a nose job or a haircut or something? It's, it's just terrible. Well, um, I felt that way when I was a teenager because I wanted to be strong. I wanted to be like my mother who was a go-getter journalist. And I was raised where women were starting to, she was the first uh, editor a female editor, a couple of the papers she worked at. So it, this uh, voluptuous woman, when I, when I was raised, is always associated with kind of a, you know, a bimbo, a no-brain, a woman who just does the housework and is sexy. And I wanted to be anything but that. So, of course, I avoided eating fat, and I didn't want to have the breasts I had because I thought that in order for me to be a martial artist or a cool, fast, smart, intrepid person, I couldn't look like that. So women really need to show by example that we can still, we can do this and be who we want to be and have the body that we have evolved, we are evolved to have. Absolutely. I also had great discomfort when I started to develop because I got a lot of unwanted boy, That's men right. and male attention. And I didn't want to be seen as a bimbo or something like that also. I was very interested in running. And this is before the advent of the running bra, as it was called, or the sports bra. And, you know, just for me to endure track practice with all the male commentary that went on around me, that the whole, you know, the baseball team would step to the sideline from practice to comment on my appearance and the movement of my body as I went around the track. And so um, it's, it's a very difficult time. And it's hard for our mothers to celebrate. You know, we, we didn't have grandmother Orca, you know, or mm -hmm. we, di we didn't get that because our, the influence on women in the modern Western medical society was to, um, well, to reduce their, the importance of their body and their health and their well-being to this medical model. So, um, we're working on a on another book about adolescents, how adolescents should eat. They should eat the same way as, as all women should eat throughout their life. But through, through my research, it's very interesting how the adolescent girl's sexuality has been incorporated into um, legislation, medicine, all this. You know, it's fascinating how how even our sexuality are. Our, when we become adolescents, we sort of become um, another sort of a token thing in, in government policy because our sexuality has to be controlled 
That's why we have to take birth control. You know, it's, I mean, I talk mm. about birth control, the diaphragm, which is such a kinder, gentler way of having of birth control than the pill. But um, because adolescent women are scary to, to families, to, to, to men in charge in the government, that this has to be controlled through very, um, I guess, um, a different kind of the birth control, pharmaceutical birth control, which is so much more invasive in the sense of what it does to your body. But it is, I guess, it assures them that it's working because the choice is taken away from the woman who inserts the diaphragm as opposed to the pill that she takes monthly. Do you understand? Yeah, I absolutely understand. And I even remember when I was like in my late teens or college years and female friends, I have never been on the pill. I had a strong feeling about that from a young age, but I even remember using a tampon as without the um, inserting thing because I thought that was all so much plastic waste. I mean, this is like 30 years ago, 35 years ago. I was like, I don't want to put plastic inside me. I don't want to create this extra waste. I'm just going to pop this tampon in. And my friends who were all smart, college educated, very cultured, they'd be like, you just put that tampon in? You don't use an inserter? And so this idea that, oh, that extra step of putting in a barrier, um, you know, like a diaphragm or something, it's, it's too many steps for a woman or using a cervical cap, it's too many steps. Just control yourself too through. Too responsibility for us. Yeah, and does take away the responsibility. And- um, Are you a yoga teacher or wellness coach dreaming of earning a professional income doing what you love? Yoga Success with Kiki is a coaching and entrepreneurial program for you. Learn a system with the inner and outer supports that changes lives. Learn more and work with Kiki at yogasuccesswithkiki.com. You can learn to earn your yoga and wellness living. There was something else I wanted to say this around. Well, deficiency. Um, you talk about in the book how women are seen to have so many deficiencies and pharmaceuticals just keep finding more deficiencies uh, to give us more drugs. And so women have this very strong idea that well, we have deficiencies around PMS and menstruation. And then we're gonna have, now there's new deficiencies around adolescence and deficiencies for uh, menopause, perimenopause, postmenopause, yeah. some new term geriomenopause or something. Yeah. So we have so many stages of deficiency and um, that need to be addressed medically. And this is all being done through some very smart uh, public relations and marketing research at these companies that have these patents on estrogen. They're kind of taking the same old drug, dressing it up in new clothes and trotting it out for these new deficiencies even though these hormone therapies have a terrible history of causing cancer, possibly birth defects, of being tested on women in Auschwitz yep. and being tested on women in um, mental health asylums. Yeah, it's, it's um, they, they knew when they first, there was a race 
there was a, a drug race between uh, Germany, America, and, and England uh, right before World War II. And every, after, after estrogen had been synthesized, they all wanted to get on the bandwagon. They all wanted to control the market. Um, they were working on different kinds of estrogen derivatives, progesterones, testosterone. They were all kind of uh, synthesized around the same time. And it was a huge market because a steroid hormone is basically life. You know, if you think about it, a steroid hormone, estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone, they figured they could, they were controlling life because it, you make babies that way. And um, so they were all trying, they were all experimenting, and they did uh, sharing, which was a German company. Uh, they did experiment with uh, both progesterones and estrogens in concentration camps. And um, they, all of the researchers and chemists, every single one saw that cancers were caused by these medicines, by these pharmaceuticals. But, and they kept, they, they, it was never, it was everyone's, it was never hidden. They all knew, but they kept bombarding the, the FDA, for instance, with pushing, 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 pushing and hiding research and changing and uh, writing in letters, putting women on these things and falsifying, you know, documents and letters that this eventually passed. As we know today. Um, so let's speak about the really good news of how, and I will say of how we can reverse these health symptoms that have been attributed to the end of ovulation, but actually can be attributed to something else. And I do want to say I'm my much of my background is like a 30 year plus vegetarian in a yoga community vegetarianism strongly aligned with yoga and female yoga practitioners and i've heard from so many women about how terrible vegetarian women their menopause has been mm -hmm. um and um so actually there is great hope for vegetarians and non-vegetarians alike. So can you talk about how we can attribute these um, symptoms to sure. adrenal fatigue and the steps that we can take? First of all, our body is not supposed to suffer through PMS. It's not supposed to. So if we, if we eat right, we shouldn't have any of these symptoms. If stress is so great, it, it can overburden our adrenals. And no matter what we eat, we might have, you know, adrenal issues because stress, adrenal hormones are stress hormones. But I just want to say that we women should not fear their bodies. We shouldn't, girls shouldn't fear PMS. If they have PMS, it's not something they just have to go through. There's a deficiency there and that should be addressed with diet, not with, not with hormones. The problem is girls who have issues, um, PMS, they're often given hormones. They do that in Italy. I know they do that in the States. So, okay, so how can we not have these symptoms and how can we treat them when we have them? Well, as I write that um, adrenal, adrenals live on fat. Adrenal and gonads are the only human tissue, the only glandular tissue that doesn't produce its own cholesterol. All our cells make cholesterol. Cholesterol is what holds our cells together. It communicates with other cells, but 
it doesn't make, it's not a, a factory for cholesterol like all of the other um, tissues in our bodies because we make our own cholesterol. The liver makes cholesterol. It's so important for our, our function, our physiology that we make it. We make plenty of it. The problem is that it then has to be synthesized from, you know, from cholesterol to pregnenolone and then the hormone cascade, it goes down to make cortisol if you need it, if, it's, if you have a lot of stress that you have to address. And then it goes on to make these other steroid hormones, uh, progesterone, and then the estrogens, and then testosterone. If you don't eat the fat, your body is supposed to be able to make enough cholesterol for you to function. The problem is that when we are very stressed, we need a lot more cortisol, we need a lot more of this cholesterol synthesis happening. And the reason why fat is important is that if you are overburdened with stress, you'll be needing a lot more cholesterol, more than your body can make. So you have to eat it. It has to be synthesized from fat. In an ideal world, our body is perfect. We make all the cholesterol we need. But if we are overburdened with stress, you're gonna to have to give it some. And in addition, if we're overburdened with a high carb diet and that, that insulin that's sort of tracking the blood sugar from the high carb diet, that's also a factor here. Well, that burns through all, you, you're creating an inflammatory, on a high carb diet, you are on fire. Every single tissue is on fire. You are in a highly inflammatory state. Your body needs boatloads more adrenal hormone in order to put the fires out. So if there are all these fires going on 24 seven, you're gonna need so much more fat in order to put all these fires out. And then if you combine carbs with fat, it creates more issues because the, the cholesterol is going around trying to plaster here, you know, Band-Aid there because there's so much uh, glycated tissue. So yes, if it's a, you also don't absorb as many nutrients if you eat a high carb diet, you're not taking in as much zinc, magnesium, B vitamins, all this stuff is not getting in and nothing in, in your, our body works in isolation. So our thyroid needs to work with the adrenals. If you're not getting iron, you're not gonna be able to make thyroid. If you're not getting selenium and zinc, you're not gonna be able to make thyroid. So it's all this beautiful dance of hormones, which is supposed to function really well if we eat the way we're supposed to, we evolve to. But so many women don't know how to eat that way now. They're afraid to eat that way now. Yes. And um, then there's these different fats. So we were led through the low fat movement, through sort of uh, the packaged food, through all the packaged foods, which fats are shelf stable. And so um, we've been directed to eat what the so-called healthy vegetable oils, also known as polyunsaturated fatty acids, PUFAs, and yeah. these are highly inflammatory and very unhealthy. And so we're looking at when, when you talk about good fat, you're talking about these traditional fats of mm -hmm. butter, eggs, beef, and uh, other animal fats. Yeah, but I don't even call poofas. They don't. They're not fats. They're not. They're just. They don't. They're not allowed to be called that. They're. You know. They're motor oil. Um, basically, we've been told that we can eat motor oil. Crisco was very smart. That's what my grandmother started using. Uh, Crisco. You know, her biscuits were really 
short and it was um it was brainwashing because they wanted to get rid of their um you know cotton their seed. yeah cotton seed so so yes good fats because it is an animal fat there's not really any other way to put it our bodies are looking for real cholesterol we have cholesterol we make cholesterol we don't make seed oils we make animal fat breast milk is full of human cholesterol animal fat animal fat we are animals so right we can't, we can't replace we can't make estrogen out of seed oil because it doesn't it's molecularly not the same the backbone is completely different and the problem is that when we break down these other fats into steroid hormones you're creating franken franken molecules and that's what we can't eliminate properly it accumulates in tissues it goes through the poor liver, which has to figure out with, what do I do with this? It's a xenoestrogen. Um, they can't break it down. Tissues can't break it down. And then it, it's, you just can't compare it to the animal fat, which is a very simple, saturated fat. Our body knows how to work with it. Our body knows how to break it down. And it's a precursor to so many things in our bodies. And at the same time as women are avoiding fat, they're slathering on sunscreens with xenoestrogens, skin creams, that, that lovely silky texture, which is basically plastic and xenoestrogen. Petroleum. Petro Again, yeah. petroleum. This is the body even more. So, you know, it's just very frustrating to me. So just to clarify, a xenoestrogen is, um, is something that it's a chemical that mimics estrogen yes. and alters the estrogen in our body, not in a good way. And so- um, You won't make it. You won't make your own because there's this other one floating around that's pretending to be an estrogen. And so you're not gonna make your own. So you may have deficiency because of that as well. So plastic is estrogenizing any Yes. Any water that's in plastic, sodas, foods that are practiced in plastic, that plastic is actually altering the estrogenizing that food or that beverage. And when men and women ingest it, it has an estrogenizing effect. And mm -hmm. then all of our skin creams that have mineral oil in them, mineral oil, Vaseline, this is just basically petroleum that mm -hmm. has been cleaned up enough that it looks clear and <laughs> we can put it on our skin and this is more xenoestrogen with this estrogenizing effect and then all of these um fake fragrances and laundry detergents these phthalates are also estrogenizing and um you know even for me if i'm actually living on a sailboat uh and traveling around and so i'm using a laundromat and so even though I use my own all natural laundry soap. You just open a washing machine in the United States. I don't know if it's the same in Italy where you are and all the phthalates, all these terrible, you know, poisonous estrogenizing toxins are coming out of the machine. People are, women are rolling in their sheets and their clothes and their kids and their kids. And their kids. You know, the old ads of the woman who does the laundry, bright, bright, white, beautiful smelling uh, fabric softener laundry. When I go out in the streets in Italy and body where I live, it's women are very proud to, to do the laundry and hang it because we have no dryers here. 
And um, you, I smell it walking down the street. Oh. Terrible. So I wanted to just visit this high carb thing. Most people probably don't think they eat a high carb diet because when they think of carbs, they think of sugar or they think of healthy carbs. We have this thing called the food pyramid, which mm -hmm. is not based in science. And it is moving. If we look at the food pyramid over the last 30 years, it went from having a lot of animal foods and proteins at the big base of the pyramid in dairy to now that's at the point of the pyramid. And at the bottom are carbs, grains, vegetables, fruits, even some food pyramids have pictures of donuts on it and bagels that these are healthy. And when a government creates a food pyramid, that means that any government related, um, you know, authority, schools, hospitals, prisons, uh, armed forces, now all the dietary guidelines for those enormous populations will be influenced by the new pyramid which is 90% high carb. Yeah. Um, so this is a big transition for one, people, women and you know, others to understand that, okay, I'm on this high carb diet. These are all the foods that give me satisfaction. How often do we hear like, because I'm on this crazy carnivore diet now for two years, it's totally altered my health. And I know it's had an influence on you and also your, all your research, what you share in your book and with your patients. Mm -hmm. And so people say to me all the time, well, I could never give up croissant. Well, I could never give up bread. Well, I could never give up ice cream. The fact is when we are nourished by the fats that we were created to be nourished by, all of those cravings fall away. Mm -hmm. So let's hear about how your how your book is guiding and how you guide people in your practice and i do just want to mention that you practice not only with people in italy but obviously through zoom you're practicing yeah, with people years. all over the world yeah, for, for the world. many years great so you were ahead of the the zoom curve yes, and uh, skype <laughs> uh, I, yeah well so i i recommend i mean i also follow the carnivore diet i have for four years um, and there was a period when I was suffering from issues that I only ate ma meat when I was a, a cook, a chef, and it helped me for a while and I didn't stick with it, which was just kick myself with all the suffering I had later. But what I recommend, we're talking about adrenal function. So adrenals live on fat, they need fat. And you really need to up the fat in the beginning. And the carbs, this carb addiction, just the problem with, you heard about the keto diet, People, so many people tell me, oh, I tried the keto diet, I was miserable. That's because they never hear that you have to eat a high fat keto diet. All they see is remove the carbs. So they're eating chicken breasts and salad and kale, and there's no energy there. You need fat, fat, you can either get fat from, you can either get energy from fat or from glucose. And if you're not gonna put in the fat, you're gonna be miserable. And I, every single one of my patients, if they follow my, my protocol, I, I, I triple the fat to the protein and they don't have cravings. It's very, it's, it's a much smoother transition that people think of, you know, they, they do go into ketosis. Absolutely. 
Um, but and it's not the kind of ketosis that people are so afraid of with all these symptoms. Yes. And when that ketosis change happens, which means the brain switches over to use fat for fuel rather than using carbs for fuel, we actually don't need any dietary carbs. Our bodies internally will create carbs to satisfy what the carbs are needed for. Right. But if women or others are afraid of fat, they're trying to include more fat or more animal products, and they don't get enough fat, they're still going to be almost starving, so to speak, and craving carbs because they didn't put enough fat in. Yeah, you have to really increase the fat tremendously in the beginning because you really are asking your body to do something. I mean, your, your metabolism has been living off of carbs for decades to, to switch over, which we have evolved to do. We can very naturally do this in 24 hours, except that um, it doesn't have to be difficult. It really doesn't have to be difficult, but you cannot do it if you don't. I like to say that you remember the Indiana Jones movie when there's that big boulder and he has to move a rock, you know, a big rock and he puts something else in place of it or this thing will come cut his head off. You have to, you have to replace it without it knowing that it's gone. If you, if you go change your metabolism and all your cells are hungry, you're going to feel miserable. But if you give it energy, the same amount of energy you had before from glucose, from fat, you won't even notice. Especially when that fat, as you <laughs> share in your book, is butter <laughs> and eggs and delicious, um, you know, uh, traditional foods that our ancestors ate and you have a background as a chef and a restaurant owner and certainly these great traditions of European and other cooking of um, amazing uh, meats and fat-based dishes and sauces. You do mention, I think in a podcast that I heard you on, that you use tallow to make sauces. I was like, ooh, I, I yeah, want to know how to make my creams and my lip balm I make out of tallow. But there, there's one issue though. The problem is that if you haven't used fat in a long time, if your body hasn't had to break it down, your gallbladder will be lazy. And the gallbladder is a muscle that will just, if it hasn't been, if you haven't lifted, your muscle is gonna drop. Um, sometimes people who have avoided fat, um, I, I recommend ox bile or any kind of, you know, an enzyme enzymes that can help you break down the fat from you're putting in your stomach, the gallbladder has to produce some bile bile salts can help you do the job if you're having issues like diarrhea, difficulties absorbing the fat in the beginning, because that does happen to some people. And you spoke about a 28-day cycle of something in the metabolism, so it takes about 28 days? Well, all, our, our endocrine system, both male and female, operates monthly on a 28-day cycle, you know, a month cycle. So change sort of big change in the endocrine system isn't really seen for a month. Your metabolism switches over in 24 hours. But if you're looking at endocrine issues and things like that, and you're trying to sort of restore the adrenal function, I would, I would say a, a month is what it would take to really see a lot of differences as far as your symptoms that you're addressing for menopause. And how would you address women who say, I can't eat that much fat or I'm not comfortable eating meat or isn't it going to give me heart disease? Well, Do you come up against that? What if I get fatter? 
Um, well, all, all my patients lose weight. The only issue I've had is one woman whose who's breasts grew more plump. <laughs> <laughs> and she was, this freaked her out. So I don't, you know, it's, um, I mean, I had three kids and my third kid, my breasts were gone. I nursed all my kids and I, of course I didn't eat enough fat. And, but then when I changed the way I ate, my breasts were restored completely, but, um, and I'm going to be 58 in two months. Um, 58 is the best age, says yeah. the 58 year old. Okay. Wonderful. I'm wonderful. looking forward to it. Um, they, they don't worry about, of course they're, you know, they, they, they've heard from their doctors don't eat like this. The kidney protein is going to kill your kidney. I mean, it's a combination of fat and protein. So the two worst things, kidneys die, the doctors tell them they're going to get a heart attack. But what they're, what we're looking for is I show them on their blood tests and their insulin goes down, their blood sugar stabilize. Um, there's so much research. We, we know that the cholesterol hypothesis is not is untrue. We know that protein does not hurt the kidneys. So if you kind of give them, reassure them with the research that these things don't happen and explain why, which is why I wrote the book. And I think if you go back and show how the medical industry has come up with these, these stories, these, these falsehoods, people understand that, you know, if you follow the money, as they say, why they're telling us this. Um, and people feel so well, it's, you're not going to worry about if you feel really well, if your moods are better, if you enjoy sex, you know, if you, all these things that you've been told that are going to happen to you, if they don't happen and you feel well, there really is no substitute for that. And I think there's a freedom here. Well, a freedom to fulfill our human lives of meeting um, to continue to just grow and be vital and uh, have a wonderful impact within our communities and in our work, et cetera. Um, but also that we no longer have to be afraid of food. We don't have to restrict or count calories or have these, you know, meal size limitation. Women are living, and I'm sure it's not just women, but you know, from what I know of women, uh, they're living so restrictive. Fasting, juice fasting has become so prevalent. Smoothie living has become so prevalent. And so the idea that we can actually kind of dig in <laughs> and enjoy food, we have an opportunity to eat to satiety. Mm -hmm. And it's so common that women in a restaurant will push their plate away when they're half done because that's what Weight Watchers taught them. That's what Cosmopolitan Magazine taught them. That's what they saw their mother do. And um, so women really are hungry all the time. But I've always been. Always been. Always right? been. That's what I, I, I'm a feminist. And, and this is, comes a lot from women have always restricted their food. Now, even before when they weren't dieting, they didn't get their to eat Right, their corsets and their... Well, that was, yes, that's physical. But I'm talking about before, I'm talking about in agrarian societies where women have eight to 10 children and five of them are boys. The father and the boys get the meat, the women don't. I know. Women get the, the scraps and the pasta. Okay, now they all eat pasta because they're all addicted. 
But before, women who have all these children and have to, have to, in order to have children, have to have a nutritionally adequate diet, are not getting it. And that's why so many babies died in, in childbirth and when they were young, because nobody was getting, the women and the children were not getting enough protein, meat. Women have always, in all societies, been relegated to lesser nutrients. Well, this is seen, I've traveled extensively to India for the last 25 years to study yoga and uh, related knowledge. And um, even in India today, particularly more in village culture, um, a woman has to rise before the rest of the family. Um, she's only able to use the bathroom very early in the morning because the rest of the day she's relegated to the kitchen and must maintain cleanliness. And uh, she feeds everyone else and she feeds herself last. And even there's a lot of statistics that medicine, if medicine is needed in, a poor, in an impoverished family, it's purchased for boy children. It may yeah. not be purchased for girl children and mm -hmm. that the bulk of the food is going to boys or maybe the one college bound child uh, right. will get more of the milk or something like that or the, the nutrients. I know it's a long, sad tale um, of women denying and having to be thin. And, you know, we see in an affluent society, this kind of like, well, one can never be too rich or too thin. The comfort of affluence <laughs> can give women a little more support to starve themselves. I really see veganism as a, a choice of affluence. Absolutely. Because how could one choose starvation? It's so expensive to eat. I mean, when I was a vegan, I could eat a whole jar of organic almond butter. That's like $18. And I could never get enough fat. Um, right. so veganism is a kind of a too rich or too thin like you have to be affluent to mm -hmm. figure out how to live on dates almonds acai yeah. which is from brazil like this is the most nutritionally depleted yet internationally swank diet that anyone could be on yeah um and while we're on this i do want to talk about thinness. Of course, if we're healthy, we're active in a way that supports health. We're not depleting ourselves adrenally through extreme exercise. Um, we are going to have a healthy physique, a healthy body weight, let's call it even if we don't weigh ourselves. Um, and skinniness is not equated with healthiness. Women have areas on their body that gather fat that's very enticingly <laughs> attractive and beautiful and um, at all ages. And so we're not, yes, women are losing weight. You're talking about they're losing that cortisol weight, that held water weight. Right. Um, but we're not going for skinny. No. For healthy you know, strong, strong. I, I, well, you know, I was thinking the other day before we talked, you know, I was thinking about how 
kind of knew this question would come up or this issue would come up. And I was thinking about when I, I was born in 63 and the models then were, I wasn't cognizant because I was born, but Twiggy and those. And I, I really think that that thin thing came from women who were trying to be emancipated and look like men. And a woman who's trying to be emancipated has to kind of lose the feminine characteristics because how can we be seen as men if we have tits and ass? And that's why my favorite music now is African-American rap, female rap music, because it is just, I mean, God, I wish I'd been able to listen to the things like that. My whole sexuality would be different when I was a teenager. Just things that a strong woman can be sexy and strong. And however her body is, as long as her body's healthy, there are different biotypes. There are th thinnish women, there are stocky women. But if she doesn't have unhealthy inflammatory tissue, she won't be overweight. There's a, um, what you said about Twiggy in that 1960s era. Yeah. There's um, a well-known, you know, haircutting uh, pioneer, Vidal Sassoon. Right, right. And yeah. there was a great documentary on him about, they said Vidal Sassoon liberated women because women used to, you know, go to the hair salon on a Friday. There were curtains over the window. They got their hair put in these little curlers. It was done. And then the, it lasted for three or four or five days. Then they hid it under a kerchief, like through the 40s, 50s, 60s. And then they went in on a Friday and their hair was done. And um, Videl Sassoon famously gave the designer, Mary Quant, one of his most famous haircuts. And he yeah. cut hair in such a way that it just fell in place. And so they make this thesis that Mary Quant created the miniskirt mm -hmm. where women didn't have to wear corsets and garters and stockings. And he created the hairstyle where women really could, you know, independently dress without all this structure, do their own hair without all of this reliance on these other structures and get this freedom. So I think that that Twiggy idea definitely makes a lot of sense. And then we have this conundrum of how can we be um, exactly who we're meant to be in the world, embodying traits that give us drive and put us on a competitive playing field with others to achieve in whatever goals we wish. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously to exhibit our sense of sexuality and personality as we choose. Yeah. So, and the best time for that, my friend, is when we are given this gift of no longer ovulating yes. and extra 50 years to uh, continue to grow, develop, and illuminate our own lives and those of others, you know, that we care for. Yeah, you know, tell the stories. How how will our how will other generations know and learn if we don't have the wisdom in order to impart on them knowledge? I mean, it's so much better to hear a story from your grandmother than reading it on online. I think so. Uh, something that I loved about this long-lived orca. She's 110 years old. Her name is grandmother. Yeah, granny, 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 granny. Yeah. I love that. That orca research is just so. Ins they've been researched better than than the female yes. women yes amazingly yeah it's extraordinary 
Um, I'm so happy that you joined me today. I'm going to say that I so strongly recommend that everyone uh, buy your book and read it. Good Fat is Good for Women, Menopause. Yep. It's so liberating. It's so empowering. And um, I got it on Kindle. I want to thank you for responding to my invitation and joining me so quickly. And so I got it on Kindle. I couldn't put it down. And um, it's just a great book. Looking forward to your future books. Please share how people can find you, though. I will share that in the show notes. And then any final words? We have a lot to talk about. <laughs> yeah, we, we do. Go for hours, I think. To be continued. Absolutely, yeah. to be continued. Um, and you can find me on my website is elizbright.com. And um, I can be contacted there. My book is available on Amazon. I do con online consultations, uh, as I said, all over the world. And um, yeah, I hope that I can get this other one out. I've been pretty busy lately, but I, my vision is menopause, um, fertility, and adolescence. So I want to do a three a trilogy, as it were, about women. Right. Steps, you know, times of our life. Wonderful. And how fun is important and for all those steps in our lives, phases in our lives. Thank you so much. And um, thank you for joining me. And I look forward to uh, reading all your books, supporting them, and a continued uh, relationship, however I can support you in your work. I'm here to spread the word. Thank you. Want more Kiki TV? Go beyond. Subscribe at kikitv.life for hundreds of hours of tutorials and members-only content that you won't find anywhere else. Only $29.99 a month. Follow Kiki on Kiki Says on YouTube and Facebook. Kiki underscore says on Instagram.